Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Believe in the Press Row. Jonas Siegel here in Seattle, where it is uh, unusually, I say kind of funny, it is unusually raining because while Seattle has the reputation of being a horrible rain city, it actually doesn't rain all that much. It's usually just gray. And uh, people are able to play golf here year-round. And speaking of golf, we are really thrilled to have Canada's, I think, longest-serving and most famous uh, golf reporter, Bob Weeks, joining us. From Toronto, Bob? <laughs> I am in Toronto, yeah. I might, I might challenge. I think Lauren Rubenstein's been around a little bit longer than I have, but uh, he's, re- he's more or less retired now. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's been longest a long run. Longest-serving active reporter. There we go. There we go. <laughs> You've been on the beat covering the game. God, like forever, right? Like literally. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I started um, 1987 was when I started working for Score Golf Magazine. It was just then, it was just known as Score Magazine, a guy by the name of John Gordon, who was the editor and an old CP guy before that uh, hired me on after I'd submitted a few story ideas for him. And uh, I stayed there uh, full-time till 2014, after which I left to go to, or sorry, 15, I guess, till I left to go to uh, TSN. Uh, I'd been working on TSN in kind of a partnership role with SCORE since about 1999. So, yeah, it's been a good good long run and uh, one that I never, never expected, to be perfectly honest with you. It's... Um... It's fascinating. I want to ask you. I want to ask you one question off the gate, out of the gate, I should say. Um, obviously, the Kobe Bryant uh, incident, if you will, is is top of mind everywhere right now. Um, do you know what was was Kobe a big golfer? He. I'm not sure he was how much of a player he was, but he was certainly very good friends with a number of golfers, primarily, of course, Tiger Woods. They were, they were kind of running mates for quite a number of years, uh, along with Michael Jordan and a little bit of uh, some, a few, there were a few other guys in there. But I think, um, I think they related to each other quite well. I think they could understand only certain things that people at their level in their sports could understand. And so for that reason, that brought them together. And I know they spent a lot of time together when Tiger was living in the West Coast. He moved to Florida I want to say around maybe 2000 or shortly after that. And that's kind of where they, they stopped hanging around quite as much, but um, they were, they were pretty tight for a while there. So uh, there's others he's, he's touched Kobe. I know Tony Finau, who's a big golfer, um, had a lot of good things to say about him and uh, said that he sort of impacted him a little bit. And, and it wasn't, I, I can remember seeing Kobe a couple times at golf tournaments at like us opens and things, um, but not certainly in, in recent years, but uh uh, so I guess he's more of a friend of golfers than he was an actual golfer. And so, so here's my question. Um, we're going to make a very big right turn. Um, lots of athletes in all the major sports uh, have an affinity to play golf on the side, if you will. <laughs> right. Um, do you have any idea? Like, golf has always been um, – a, a privileged sport, if you will, right? Like it's expensive to play the game. Um, it's, it's been hard to get access to it. And in the early days, if you will, professional athletes had side jobs. Like they had to work 
guy, I've heard stories of guys who played in the NHL in the original six days who had other jobs in addition to playing hockey. So where did this, do you have any idea like where this marriage, if you will, for golfing in the off season and professional athletes actually came from? Not really. I mean, I, I think, you know, in some sports, uh, mainly winter sports like hockey, it's, it's sort of a natural fit. You're at the summer off, although as you point out, some of them certainly had to do jobs. Uh, but I think, you know, just that the seasons allowed them to do it. That's a lot of reasons why you see uh, golf and curling clubs, I guess, in, in Canada going together because they, they kind of match up with the seasons. But, um, you know, there are great uh, baseball players. John Smoltz is a great base or great hockey player who are uh, sorry, <laughs> great golfer uh, in the offseason. There's quite a number of baseball players. Josh Donaldson's very good. And I guess that, you know, you can always go down south and play in the off season. But I, I, I find it's uh, the guys that I know the best in terms of being uh, very good um, golfers from other sports tend to be hockey players, even though there are some, some other ones out there. But I have no idea why that would sort of transfer, why they wouldn't play tennis or, or something else. I guess they just gravitate to it because it's, it's kind of a social sport. I guess a lot of the reasons why lots of people who, uh, who aren't athletes gravitate to it. You're, uh, you're listening to Believe in the, in the Press Row with Bob Weeks, longtime uh, Canadian journalist covering the sport of golf. Um, How did you get into golf? So my, my dad was a golfer, and um, we went on a vacation one time to Prince Edward Island. He was a golfer, but he kind of stopped playing. My grandfather was a golfer, uh, actually, before him. And we went on a vacation to Prince Edward Island, where my grandparents lived, where all my family was from, although we were living in Montreal at the time. And in those days, there was no uh, there was no bridge across to PEI, so you were at the mercy of the ferries. And one year, the ferries went on strike, so we were kind of like survivor. We were shipwrecked on the island, and my dad was looking for things for us to do. And he said, "Well, let's go play golf." And we went to this little par three course out there, and and I guess I got hooked. And um, I loved the game. I loved all sorts of things about it. I was never a great golfer. I've never been a great golfer. And that's one thing that I get asked a lot is. You know, how can you comment on golf if you're not necessarily a great golfer or professional? And I say, well, I don't think Bob McKenzie played in the NHL or, you know, you can go down, you can go down the list. Um, but uh, but that's that's kind of how I got into it through my family. And then my dad, uh, when we were transferred to Toronto, my dad got a membership at, uh, at a golf course here in Toronto, where I'm still a member to this day. Uh, Western Golf Club have been there 48 years now. Wow. And uh uh, I don't play as much as everyone thinks I do. I get about maybe 28 year, 20 to 25 rounds a year in. Uh, some of those are business rounds. You play with, with clients or things, but just with my buddies and stuff at my course, probably about 20 rounds because I'm always busy during the summer watching golf and uh, recovering golf. So it's, um, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a great golfer, but I love the game and I love the fun that it goes out with. And I have a bunch of buddies that I play with at my club interesting backgrounds uh bob ray the former premier is one of them i've got another buddy who's a toronto hydro lineman i got another guy who uh, worked for decimal research alan Gregg, who was on cbc and then we go out and play pretty regularly and and the, the conversations are more interesting than the game i think do uh you ever play with mccowan i have played with bob yeah he's a good player um say, so you can see that he's he's uh he's a single digit handicap for sure. I would say he's probably five, six, somewhere in there. With the, the times that I've seen him play, I know he was, he was an assistant professional for a while uh, back before he got into, uh, into the media business or even, even the baseball business. And uh, he's a sort of a traditionalist. So he's, when I played with him a number of times, he's kind of used like these old style 
blade golf clubs, which don't have uh, a lot of the technology that today's clubs have. But uh, I played with him. The last time I played with him, it was he and I and Keith Pelly, uh, former major domo at Rogers and now the head of the European Tour. And uh, we had a lot of laughs up at the course called Goodwood, which is north of Toronto, where, uh, where Bob's uh, a member. And uh, would he win the championship of the Toronto Media World? Uh, there's a few good players out there. I'm trying to think right off the top. He might be close. He would certainly be in the running. But Jeff O'Neill would probably be the best golfer. He's, um, he's easily, if you, if you count him as a media guy now, I guess he is. He's a former yes. hockey player, obviously. But, yeah, no, he's, he's really good. Um, he's a member at Weston, where I am as well, and he, he's come close to winning the club championship a couple of times there. He doesn't play all that seriously in competitions anymore, but, um, but yeah, he'd be right around a scratch golfer for sure. So question I want to ask, uh, and I'm going to take a, again, a rather ignorant stab at something here, but <laughs> okay. you know, growing up in sports in and around the GTA, I had a dab in Vermont and then a dabble in, in Michigan and, and down in Miami. You, you kind of had this, steady interest in golf and then tiger lands and things explode. Um, and here we are today as someone who covers it. Is that like an accurate read where interest in the game was, was pretty flat. And then you've got this meteoric rise um, interest in the game, I think unparalleled. Uh, am I right on that? Yeah, I, I would point to three points over sort of the time that I've been around, although one, the first one precedes me, obviously, was when Arnold Palmer arrived on the scene, and that's just around the time when golf started being broadcast on television, and he, he was kind of... Make, he doesn't just make iced tea, he actually played the game? Yeah, I mean, like, he, you know, I, I think... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Arnold, exactly. Arnold, uh, you know, Arnold came around that same time and he was the charismatic guy at that, at that time. He was young, he was good looking, he was aggressive on the greens. And so he kicked off the television era, I think, of, of golf watching on TV. The next step was Jack Nicklaus, of course. And, and going back to when you asked me about my, my start of the job, the first day on my job, I actually caddied for my boss, the publisher at the uh, Canadian Open, and we had Jack Nicklaus as our pro. So that was a pretty good way to start off a career in golf. <laughs> and the... But I think I think Tiger, what Tiger did that none of the other ones uh, did really was bring in an audience that that weren't necessarily golf fans. They were fans. They were sports fans. Um, I think he was a um, a unique guy in terms of what he came into. He came in as very brash. He came in with a lot of uh, a lot of credentials as a junior, as an amateur golfer, and of course, you know, the fact that he was African American in a fairly white dominated sport. Uh, well, fairly is probably an understatement. I think I think also gave him, um, you know, a lot of notoriety and and just the fact that he won so quickly and won the Masters so quickly as a professional, uh, that just zoomed and stays to this day. You know, the ratings, the television ratings for when Tiger is in and when he's not are um, between forty and fifty percent higher when Tiger is in the hunt. So, um, you know, it's it's just this phenomenon that has lasted and there's you know there's obviously people who like tiger and don't like tiger but um yeah it boomed when tiger took off everything just went through the roof in terms of uh of notoriety of audiences of uh, people playing the game of golf courses being built um it just brought golf to a new level and where are we today well you know there's a lot of naysayers saying the sky is falling and certainly we're not where we were um in canada you know mike weir 
kind of did the same sort of thing, brought a lot of attention to the game and winning the Masters. But, um, you know, we, we overbuilt. There's way too many golf courses, especially in the United States uh, and, and, and to a certain extent in Canada. And the numbers are dropping, um, but it's still the highest played sport in Canada. More people golf in Canada than any other sport. And, you know, it's kind of plateaued the last couple of years in terms of people who play the game. But I think it's the last numbers they have. It's around 5 million Canadians play uh, two or more games of golf every year. And so, I mean, it just completely outweighs things like hockey or baseball or tennis or anything like that in terms of participation. Um, But it's not certainly not quite where it was in terms of excitement level, I don't think, uh, except on certain times like last Masters when Tiger won it. But uh, it's a pretty good sport. There's still a lot of money being made. There's uh, I think it's worth about 14 billion dollars to the Canadian economy in terms of money being spent on it. So um, it's, it's certainly a big thing, but it's not like it was in, in Tiger's heyday and Mike Weir's heyday. Yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, do you, do you think, I, I'm curious about one thing. So I'm, I'm in my late 40s. Um, my personal ability to get away to play, you know, 18 holes on a weekend, on a weekend is pretty limited with kids. Um, that seems to be part of the same cry that I hear from a lot of guys that work at golf courses that people just won't come out because it takes too darn long. And we're in this instant gratification era where everything has to be fast and quick. I've heard rumblings about them going to a smaller regulation course. Have you heard anything like that? Do you think we're always going to be at 18 or do you think there's going to be changes? I think there's going to be multiple offerings. Uh, You're already seeing that in a a lot of different ways. Um, There's a lot of courses that are being built right now that are shorter. For instance, there's a course uh, just outside of Toronto called Turnberry. The first hole is a par four, the last hole is a par four, and the other 16 holes are par threes. And you can get around there in two, two and a half hours. So I think that's a big thing. I think more people are playing nine holes. There's a big push by the United States Golf Association to kind of make that a I thought, yeah, just go and play nine. There's nothing wrong with playing nine. So time is certainly of the essence. Um, you know, t- you, you see the the growth of something called Top Golf Love in the United Top States, Golf. which I is a, a huge, yeah, fan. yeah, driving range kind of slash bowling alley kind of atmosphere. Very cool, very fun. Um, for those who don't know, it's sort of like a driving range, but you can sit in a uh, a little area where you have a tee and you can have uh, you can play games with all the golf that are sort of I guess they've got a chip in them and there's a lot of computerized stuff where you can hit targets out uh, on a on a big driving range field you can have beer and chicken wings brought to your table and and it's taking off Cineplex has the rights to it in Canada and we're still waiting to see when the first one is going to be built but um, the rumors are that it is coming to Canada well not rumors there are it is coming to Canada but for those who haven't seen it it sort of takes driving range to the next level and makes it a lot of fun and we're seeing a lot of people who go to Top Golf who are not necessarily golfers um, transferring and making the next step to going out to playing a, a game of golf. So that's a big, big step forward. But time's certainly a big, one of the biggest considerations. Cost is a consideration, although it's no more costly to play golf than it is to go skiing or to play hockey. In fact, it could be more expensive to play hockey depending on what you're doing. And, and if you live in a big city, um, you know, golf has this perception of being elite, of being more expensive, but, but the majority of golf courses in this country aren't in big cities. They're in smaller centers where it's, 
you can play golf for 30 bucks or 40 bucks and uh, go out. Maybe the course isn't uh, going to host a Canadian Open anytime soon. But this this idea that uh, golf is members only is something that's kind of uh, I, I don't like to say it's it's a, an out and out lie, but only 8% of Canadian golfers are members of a golf club. So it kind of goes to show you that it's not necessarily this big elite sport that a lot of people who a lot of people who are not golfers might think it it is. Um, but it but it certainly it certainly does have that that part to it, but that's not the the majority of the people who play golf in Canada. Well, well, Bob, if you know and you pay attention to what's going on in the world, you would know that this weekend is Super Bowl. Funny <laughs> story about Super Bowl. I know someone who uh, once placed a bet on Super Bowl and won enough money to buy his then wife a fur coat that had the inscription inside, thank you, John Riggins. Uh, it is time for Super Bowl betting. And uh, now is a great time to head over to mybookie.ag to make your predictions a reality. Um, whether you're choosing the winner or making a side bet with a friend, MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes extra cash easy and fast. You can even visit mybookie.ag backslash party to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. Love the prop bets. Football not your jam? No worry, my bookie's got it all from the NBA, Premier League, and yes, even golf. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you put in $2,000, you'll get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, B like Bob, L like Larry, and B like Victor. To activate the offer, once again, that's promo code BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Play, win, and get paid. Uh, are you going to be watching the big game this weekend? Yeah, I'm going to actually be in Phoenix for the Phoenix Open, and uh, it finishes up right around uh, kickoff time. And there's uh, a lot of – they put the game up on the big screens on that are all over the golf course, so a lot of people hang around and, uh, and watch the game there. So that might be something I do. Do you think that, you know, so we talk about the, evo the evolution of the game. Uh, Top Golf, in my opinion, is, is a mixture of golf meets Dave and Busters. Um, <laughs> they, they really bring out the best parts of the game um, in a really fun environment. And skill level of the actual sport almost doesn't matter. Now, obviously, if you're an elite golfer who can hit the ball far with accuracy, it will matter. Um, but you can definitely take people out there who've never swung the club before, and they can have as much fun playing um, because there's equal opportunity to win by being a little bit more accurate than you necessarily have to be by hitting it far. Um, I've been to several corporate events at, at a, at a Top Golf. Uh, I, I think they're just fantastic. It's, you know, it takes a, that intimidation factor. Golf, if, if you've never played golf and you're 25 or 35, it's an intimidating sport to go out and play. That's one of the things a lot of research has shown that, you know, taking it up late is a difficult thing to do. So I think Top Golf kind of removes that from it. Top Golf is fun. Nobody cares if you duff it off the, the, the balcony or the whatever level you're at and knock it down onto the turf and it just kind of rolls along or whatever. It's, it's more of a fun environment. So, um, it's a great place for people who haven't golfed and who you don't know, want to think about it or even just want to go out and have fun 
started out there, but, uh, but it's certainly a, a huge success story. And I don't know if you've seen this, um, but they've started to like license the name and technology into traditional or non-traditional venues. So I take my son to a course here in Seattle. They do something brilliant, by the way. Weekends, um, kids under the age of 18 after two o'clock or something play free, uh, which, I think wow. is bril- which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah. But in their driving range, they have like three or four um, lanes, if you will. I'm not sure exactly what they're called. Uh, <laughs> right. That have the top golf technology in them. So the balls obviously have the chips. They have a computer there that uh, is monitoring. So you can have the top golf experience at a driving range without going to a top golf. That's that's brilliant. And, uh, and I mean, the top golf people, I've, I've spoken to the president and the, uh, several of the other people over the years, and they're just, they, they have people coming to them out of the woodwork with different ideas. And, and of course, they're licensing, obviously, as you're pointing out, different areas, but it's so much fun to go and play. And it, and it is, you know, it is golf in, in a certain sense, but it, it does go to show you that golf is one of the biggest problems that golf has is that it just doesn't like to change very quickly. And I mean, you can go onto the PGA tour and look at all the different things that they've been trying. I'll give Keith Pelly over the European tour, a lot of credit. He's, you know, done everything from um, follow golfers with a shot clock, like they have in basketball to, you know, to, to, having walk-up music and different things, trying to spruce it up and challenge the norms. The PGA Tour is a lot slower to kind of react to that stuff. And it's it's one of those things that I think a lot of younger people, why they have trouble kind of connecting with golf, because it is not a sport that has kind of um, reached out and grabbed their interest in, in what they want to see in a, in a sporting event. Yeah, and listen, I know comparing it to hockey is one thing. Um, but buying even just a simple set of irons is not an inexpensive and it's actually quite daunting. Um, I was at a store recently getting somebody fit and, you know, when, even in admitting that you don't have the greatest expertise, um, is pretty daunting. Like there are hundreds of hundreds of, or let's say dozens of different brands and each brand has different models and, they kind of set you on your own way and say, go pick out the ones that you kind of like, you know, like, I don't know, they all kind of look the same. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm picking. Yeah. And, and it the is, price it variance is, is expensive. It's, uh, but I think the things like top golf, um, do do a pretty good job of bringing in that necessary younger audience. Yeah. There's, I mean, you know, you can look at golf clubs and say, Yes, they're expensive, but you can look at hockey sticks and see they're yes, ex- yep. they're expensive. And there's, you can buy used golf clubs. That's how I started, you know, with an old set. And and I don't think you have to go and break the bank if you don't want to. It's not cheap by any means for for sure. I mean, you got to get shoes and you got to get a, a set of irons and woods and, and of course golf balls. <laughs> you got to run out of ammo. You don't usually run out of pucks. <laughs> so there's that part of, part of it as well. Um, but you're right. There's there's just a lot of traditions and a lot of things that need to to change and I'll give golf Canada credit there. You know, they're, they're trying to do that. They're trying to make things better. They're trying to open things up, but uh, um, it's still got a long way to go before it's, you know, considered that that elitist image will, will disappear. And, um, and I think it's, you know, sort of a male dominated sport as well. 
in, in many ways. So there's a lot of barriers they could break down and make the game a lot more fun without a lot of effort, just a lot of, of mind change, I think, and a lot of focus on, on what you do. So do you think golf is, is, needs to evolve into more of a fan-friendly spectator sport a la uh, Happy Gilmore where the golf, you know, where noise is not so discouraged or do you think the, the candor around the game is really important? Uh, I'm a, I'm, I think that the, you know, I had a long talk not long ago with, with Jim Furyk, PGA Tour player about this, and he's, you know, he's 50 this year. He's an old, old guy. And he said that if, if this game is going to survive, you're going to have to allow people to yell and scream and jump up and down. And hopefully it's, it's courteous enough that it's not, you know, one guy yelling at the top of your backswing. <laughs> um, but he, he, that's the problem. You know, people were yelling all the time and nobody would mind it. I mean, you look at what they do at the Phoenix Open, the Waste Management Open on that 16th hole where they surround the place. And the noise is, if you've never been to that, TV does not do it justice. It is so loud, and there are people yelling and screaming and chanting different things, but it's constant. So you're not sort of being or thinking about the possibility of some guy yelling at the top of your swing. Um, but it is a, certainly a different atmosphere than what golf is used to. But um, I think you do need to make it more of a fan experience. And a lot of tournaments are doing that. Canadian Open last year and will this year, for instance, uh, have added con a concert series. So you go and you watch the golf and you stay around and, uh, and, and somebody else comes out and plays, plays a concert on a stage set up uh, on the golf course. So there's that. There's, there's, there are smaller versions of what they do on the 16th hole, the waste management of the Canadian Open. You know, they put hockey boards up and they call it the rink. And they have different interactive things at golf tournaments. So you can see what they're trying to do is people aren't going to come just to watch golf. That's the reason, first and foremost, that they will come. But they have to be there to be able to do something else, whether it's go to the beer garden or whether it's, um, you know, uh, chip off on some, some area or it's to see a concert afterwards. It has to be more than just about coming to see a guy play golf. Well, I think... Um... I guess the next natural question would be how has social media changed the way a member of the Canadian golf hall of fame covers the game back compared to 87 <laughs> when you first got started, how have things changed in a social media world? <laughs> well, it's uh, I like it. I mean, I think, I think the one, the major thing I would say that it's done is it's given a players a direct voice to the fans. So the players can connect to them any kind of way they want. They can make a statement. They can, uh, you know, react to something a fan says or somebody else says. Um, it's, it's allowed a little bit of a disconnect in terms of having to go through the media, which I think is fine because it's, uh, that's, that's great. If you can connect to a, to a, a Rory McElroy or a Tiger Woods in some way, shape or form, then, then that's great. Um, from my own personal standpoint, you know, it makes the job, you got to be a, you got to be a, a full package. You can't just do, just be able to write. You can't just be able to do TV or radio. Now you're doing stuff on social media. We're putting um, videos up on social media. We're putting interviews up on social media. Uh, it's another, in some ways, it's another avenue for somebody to find something. If they want to hear how Adam Hadwin feels about uh, his third round at the waste management this weekend, you know, they can, they can dial it up on internet on the, or on uh, Instagram or Twitter or anywhere that you want to go. So it's, it's made the job um, busier, but I, I like it. I like, I like to interact with fans as well and to be able to give them information. So 
Um, for me, social media is a necessary skill that you have to have, and I certainly don't profess to be the best at it, but um, but I enjoy it. I think it's, and I think the fans do too. So I'm going to bury my head in shame and admit that I had very little idea of your acumen in the world of curling as well. I knew you clearly <laughs> as a golf guy. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing that you are the only person on this planet who's been inducted into both hall of fames, golf and yeah. curling in Canada. Uh, <laughs> I really, I, I had no idea. Um, and that, that in 265 will get you a, a grande at the no, no, Starbucks. No, you know? no way. That, that, that's impressive. That's listen, like, listen, a hall of fame is a hall of fame and you're in two of them. Um, I think that's really impressive. Um, so you have a choice on a perfect day. Are you golfing or curling? Uh, today, I would be, I mean, at this, at this point in my, in my career and in my life, I would be going to play golf. Uh, 20 years ago, I might have, might have gone curling. I was always a much better curler than I ever was a golfer. I played in a few championships. Uh, I won, what did I win? I won a couple of championships, Ontario championships, not the main one, but like the major league championship. And I, um, I actually won a, a, a competitive bond spiel on the cash circuit playing with Eddie Wernick. People may remember that name. He was a world champion, two-time world champion one of the um, back in the curling. day. <laughs> there you go. So, so I was, I was a half-ass curler back in the day, but, uh, but I made my mark there again as a, as a reporter. I covered a whole bunch of briars. I wrote a book on the history of the briar one year and um, which was a bestseller. And I actually, I guess my biggest claim to fame was I wrote the book, curling for dummies which still sells copies mostly in the u.s when the olympics is on when nobody knows <laughs> what the heck's going on and, uh, with curling and they they seem to buy that book so i still get a few royalties uh off of that one but uh but but i'm getting a little further and further away from curling although i'm doing a little bit of work at tsn uh on that and um i'll be doing some work at the scott scotty's tournament of hearts in the briar this year so keeps my hand in it but uh, but i got to admit that the golf is such a a long season and a, uh, and a long week of, you know, it's not like you just have one game or something. It's, you know, you go to a golf tournament, you're there for nine days covering the golf. You're flying on Sunday and you fly out the following Monday. Um, so it's, it's a pretty busy sport. And again, that season, you know, basically runs from January to uh, in some cases like this year with the president's cup right till December. So it's, there's not a lot of time to fit in the curling stuff. All right. So I have two, two last questions for you. One, um, if someone hasn't been to a major golf tournament, uh, which one should they go to and why? That's the first question. Why don't you answer that one first? Okay. Um, if you, if you, you could have your pick of any golf tournament, any probably golf the tournament waste management in the world. Okay. Well, well, I would go to the open championship in, uh, in either Scotland or England or last year, Northern Ireland. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, coolest part part of golf and and it's the origins of golf and it's you'll see all sorts of great shots uh that you wouldn't normally see week in and week out on the pga tour i love going to the open championship it's it's so much fun i mean the masters is one that you'd love to get to but it's the most difficult ticket i think in sports to try and get so other than that it's just a regular pga tour stop i would say the the waste management it's it's a lot of fun it's a great experience uh you get to see some good shots and players and and you can have a, a good bash the RBC Canadian Open is not a bad choice if you're in Canada. It's, well, it's the only choice if you want to stay in Canada, if you can't go anywhere else. But it's become a pretty good event. You know, RBC's kicked a lot of money into it. Um, they are really um, picked up the, 
the the whole atmosphere of it, as I mentioned, with the concert series and things like that. And they're attracting a pretty good field now that they have a, a decent date. Uh, Rory McIlroy last year being the defending champion. I was a good little story. I was emceeing the closing ceremonies, and as I was walking out, we were lined up to walk out in the chairman of the RBC Bank, uh, Dave Mackay, was behind me, and, and I said, how, how did you like that, Dave? And he said, I like it a lot more now that Rory's won. So, so even the bank loved it when Rory won. So uh, those, those ones are pretty good choices to make. Okay, so if my kid didn't play golf and got me kind of more interested in playing, uh, which he has, the other, the other two reasons that I play is, one, uh, I like to keep a little bit of the rust off because I get invited to corporate events a couple of times a year and I don't want to make a complete ass of myself. So that's one reason I go out. The second is I have found that in my life, there are some truly extraordinary places to play the game that the game almost takes a backseat to the environment. And you, Mr. Weeks have written a book about the 50 best golf courses to play in the world. So <laughs> I haven't read the book. I know my favorite. <laughs> uh, I'm curious. List your top five. Uh, well, the top five to play anywhere in the world. I love playing Troon, which is over in Scotland. Okay. Uh, in Canada, my two favorite golf courses are one on the ocean and one on the mountains. The mountains is Jasper Park Lodge, uh, which I think is one of the best designed golf courses in the world. It's just so much fun, and it is not a golf course that will beat you up. Um, you might get eaten by a grizzly bear, but <laughs> they, they, uh, they, it won't beat you up. And then the other one is there's actually two courses, but it's at one place called Cabot Links and uh, Cabot Cliffs out on uh, Cape Breton, which is absolutely spectacular. Um, it, both those places are worth worth the price of, of, of traveling out there. It's a little bit of a you have to be a bit of a, a traveler because it's only it's three and a half hour drive from Halifax. So it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. So you got to love golf because there's not much else to do there. Um, and then, you know, in the U S there's probably nothing better than, than playing Pebble beach. If you can afford it, I think it's the, I think it's the most expensive green fee in the world. I think it is a, about 500 bucks us plus you have to spend two nights in the lodge, wow. which I think is about another 1500 bucks a night. So you're probably looking at about $3,500. There are some ways to get around that, but that's kind of the rack rate. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, there's, there's a place in New Zealand called Cape kidnappers, which is an amazing spot <laughs> yeah and uh and it's sort of like cabot where it's out on the ocean and, and kind of going around i mean there are so many good places to play golf in this world um you you just have to go out and find what what you like and what suits you my home course is still my favorite course weston golf club so that's the best place i like to play and and it's it's as you said the environment has a lot to do with it but the people you're playing with also have a lot to do with it and if you're playing golf with your son as you mentioned, I still play golf with my dad. He's 88 years old. Last year, we finished runner-up in the in the alternate shot father-son championship handicap net, of course. Um, but but I, I I treasure those days that I can play with my dad and uh, uh, and go out and, and bat it around. And I hope there's a lot more of them to come. But uh, I think a lot of people are like that. It's it's about it's about who you play with more so than where you play with or or what you're playing for or how you play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, look, like to me, it's one of the few times of the year where you literally can get, get away figuratively and literally turn off the phone, um, enjoy hopefully uh, pretty good sights, and uh, like you said, enjoy the people you're with and, and, and take it in. Um, I agree with you. 
I, uh, yeah. it, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, hoping we can do it again. Uh, I'm sure there'll be stories to talk about from the media side of things in golf. And now that I've got my eye focused on it, on curling. Um, <laughs> but I really, really appreciate you, you taking some time for us. Uh, it's, a, it's been a pleasure. I really, uh, really love, uh, love talking golf and curling with uh, anybody anytime. So this is, this is a real treat. Awesome. Thank you very much. Have a great day. And you can find Leave in the Press Row on all your favorite podcast networks. And uh, we'll have a next, another edition for you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.